0: Welcome to the Yogi MD Podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, my guest is Shirley Archer, a graduate of Stanford University, Harvard University, and Georgetown University Law Center. She is an integrative health promoter and advocate best-selling author of 16 books, award-winning fitness industry leader, and health journalist with over 25 years of experience in mind-body holistic health and wellness. Shirley is here today to talk to us about the health benefits of spending time in nature and unplugging from technology. Please enjoy. Shirley. Thank you so very much for being here with us today. I am thrilled to talk about this very pertinent subject of mindfulness and nature and taking breaks from technology with you today. So I'd like to ask you this, how have your life experiences made you the avid health advocate and expert that you are today? What, what makes you uniquely suited to do your work?
1: It's really a journey and it's a continuing to unfold journey. I actually started out my career as an attorney and I worked on Wall Street and I had uh, always been a high achiever, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, because some people think, oh, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm a type A person in the most positive of senses and that I really want to challenge myself and do the best that I can at whatever I do. And at that time working on wall street was held out as sort of the, the peak, the summit, you know, the Mount Everest, the hardest uh, job that one could have. So I decided I would tackle that. And when I got there and I, I speak often with younger people at, at, in college about this and in graduate school, they don't educate us about how to live well. We focus so much on our professional interests and pursuing our education in terms of skills and abilities, but we really don't think about what the profession is going to be like in terms of life balance, in terms of the kinds of people that you work with, the the environment that you're uh, experiencing every day the kind of uh, city that you're living in, you don't actually factor, or at least I didn't. And in general, my peers at that time did not factor all of those things into the professional decision. It was all very intellectually uh, motivated. So I found myself way back when in the 1980s, working night and day. And uh, for people that whose values I also did not share. But because the demands of the work were so extreme, I really did not even have time to contemplate alternatives to my job. And what ultimately happened is that I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome as a result of becoming sick. And I had been passively waiting for the doctor to prescribe something from the pad to make me well. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was being very passive and I was somehow expecting a cure. And when I was told, oh, well, we have decided that you have this chronic fatigue syndrome and there's nothing we can do for you. Maybe you'll never feel better. I was shocked. And then I realized it's on me. I need to create my health. And that was a huge wake up call. I went to Stanford University as an undergraduate and had the great pleasure of meeting a doctor named Jack Farquhar, who was the founder of the Preventive Medical Research Center at mm, Stanford. And okay. he was a pioneer in preventive medicine. And in the night. 1950s was already connecting the dots between diet and exercise and heart disease, and this was unheard of back then. They didn't believe those things were connected. Believe it or not, they didn't think back then that exercise had a relationship to good health. In fact, they thought that exercising too hard caused a heart attack. <laughs> I don't know if you recall that, but they thought wow. they thought oh well, people go jogging and they drop dead. Too much exercise is bad for your heart. So. So it's only until post 80s, 90s, that this whole area of research really started to unfold and and get the depth and breadth that it has today. But after that point, I, I... Did a couple of turns, but uh, ultimately made my way back to Stanford. And I worked at the Stanford Prevention Research Center as a health educator, continued to educate myself, started to write, uh, interview researchers. And uh, then I went on. I wrote 16 books. Did you notice
0: that there was this fundamental lack of education in mind, body, um, spirit connection, and the and how your own health was being adversely impacted, therefore encouraging you to want to pursue and learn more?
1: We, we live a life and we make choices that is directed towards enhancing and promoting our health, or we do things that harm our health very few things are in the are in the neutral zone I mean of course there are some activities that are neutral but for the most part our choices either enhance or harm our health so my uh, mission or passion mm-hmm. became uncovering all those small things that we can do to live in the direction towards health. And to educate people because this is, you know, we tend to be too goal oriented and we tend to want a magic pill. You know, we want a doctor to write a prescription or we want one thing, eat green vegetables Mm -hmm. to give us the answer. And And health isn't like that. It's a process. It's a journey. It's unfolding and it's an evolution. So That's why in my professional work, I emphasize mindfulness because it is through cultivating conscious awareness of how we think, how we feel, what we experience, that we can then start tuning into the wisdom of our body, as well as noticing the choices that we make each day and each in every opportunity that are leading toward health or away from health
0: that completely resonates with me the fact that you even use the word evolution in that word demonstrates that there's no one size fits all there's no magic pill there's no magic formula how do you address that idea
1: uh it's complex because everything in our society all the marketing is geared towards making us feel inadequate and selling us on that one solution but i think that with experience as people try to lose weight or start a fitness program or try some strange diet or take a supplement and they realize they don't get the outcome that they want after they've done this through trial and error multiple times they, the light bulb starts to go off that this this isn't the answer and then they start realizing that there's a more in-depth approach and it needs to resonate with the heart because we are ultimately not going to do anything that doesn't feel good to us for any length of time so the movement solution the eating solution the sleeping solution and this is very hard it takes time because we are we have we're talking about digital distraction but we have uh allowed ourselves to become so disconnected from the, the wisdom of the body. And uh, part of that is attributed to the amount of constant stimulation we're experiencing from the outside.
0: So when, as you've pointed out, we jump from one thing to another looking for the magic solution, that's ultimately not sustainable. It's not lifestyle which is what we're really talking about here. Do you think that being so plugged into technology and how distracting that can be adds to that dilemma of doing the work to incorporate sustainable, long-term lifestyle
1: solutions? Um, It can add to the dilemma in the sense that I expressed in terms of overstimulation because you're looking at this constant bombardment of if your problem is x the answer is y if your problem is z the answer is a so we're constantly being bombarded by that stimulation and it can be hard to determine what's accurate in fact i wrote about one study that showed that uh, out of a survey of very popular social influencers, um, 80% of them did not have the credentials in the area. This was a UK study that they were giving out advice. 80% of them did not have cre- any credentials. They're giving out <laughs> <laughs> advice about fitness or nutrition and they look good. They're young. They're very savvy um, from a social media and marketing point of view, but they don't have any content knowledge in the particular domain that they're giving people advice about other than what works for their own personal body.
0: How do we know what's real and and what's fake?
1: Well, this is the challenge. You have to seek out experts that actually know what they're talking about, which I would hope are people like you and me. <laughs> you're a <laughs> medical doctor, and you're a certified yoga professional with experience. And I have um, 30 years of experience in addition to multiple certifications, and have you know been training in these areas. You know, I I, I also teach meditation, and people say, "Oh, you you do a good job." I'm like, again. Yeah, 20 years of experience. <laughs> I mean there are so many random people. You know, I've done a lot of education about what these things, what is mindfulness, what is attention, what is concentration, what is uh, and how we access different states of mind and I have done the work. And there are so many people out there just you know, just teaching nonsense, but they wear nice clothes and they have good props and they're good at marketing. (laughs) Well, that's, that's it. And that's exactly what I was going
0: to get to and ask you about next. It's, isn't it because there's so much, because there's so much stimulation and so much information out there, what captures attention, which is shorter and shorter, by the way, something shiny, something bright, something new. So not necessarily the quality. It's the showmanship.
1: For myself, all I can do is continue to put good quality work out there and hope that because I'm consistent, because everything I write is evidence-based and I link to the studies to prove it. I have a lot of blog posts and I am very clear about what is subjective and what is based on scientific knowledge what would you
0: say is a good way to approach balancing the use of technology how do we avoid overusing it how do we how do we take time to spend more time immersed in life away from it
1: I think what's important is that people understand that technology is a tool. And as it's it's as a tool, we must use it for whatever purpose that we choose to accomplish and not become a victim of the tool so that we are instead being uh, controlled by notifications and alerts and messages and, and we can no longer function because we're being interrupted every 5 seconds. So I highly recommend this idea of a digital detox and that can be as little as an hour break to a week or a weekend. You know when you've lost your ability to to manage or function alerts are naturally stimulative. So if we hear, if we get a notification or a ding or a buzz, we can't help but pay attention because it goes to our primitive brain. It's part of our survival. We respond to uh, alerts in our environment as a way to keep ourselves safe. So your first line of uh, defense or offense, I'm should be is to control notifications do not allow yourself to be at the beck and call of every notification Uh, determine what's necessary and and truly essential for you to receive a message that you've got some information i mean is it really critical that you get an alert every single time you receive an email probably not (laughs) 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 But you need to go through that process. Um, I forget the name at the moment, but there's a gentleman who's um, uh, an advocate for how to control technology, and he suggests taking all your apps off of your phone 100% and live without them uh, for a period of time and then introduce them one by one only when you've consciously made the decision that I need this to function so that you don't use anything other than what you actually need. And then I would suggest you do the same thing with alerts. You only get alert Like if you're, if you have an aging mother and you're worried that she might have an accident or a health emergency and you want, then put her on a priority notification. You have a partner, priority notification, a child. You know, those people, you want to hear from them when they want to contact you. But everyone else, get to it when you get to it.
0: The way you stated that, it sounds like addiction. Two things. It sounds like addiction um, recovery or therapy, and it also sounds like when a person is trying to figure out what their what food is causing an allergy in their diet. You take this detox. Remove a certain number of things. Well, they don't tell you to remove everything at once, then you can't tell, but one thing at a time and see how you do. But this is very interesting this approach of taking away non essential applications on your phone or on your laptop and then seeing how you live. What? And it's funny because when you were saying that, I almost I'll be honest, I felt a little bit of resistance, like, well, no, I need to make sure I have my, I check my emails or uh, I'm on LinkedIn or, or whatever. Why do you think we're so plugged in?
1: It also goes back to neuroscience um, because, I mean, all of this could be established via what we know about how the brain works, but social proof, social um, liking... That makes us feel good. When people like us or people comment on anything we do in social media, that immediately makes us feel good about ourselves. That's affirming. That's validating. And so that can become addictive. I think once you know these things, you can have more conscious awareness around them. And, and the thing is, all the people who design this technology design it to be addictive. Mm. Because they want it to be sticky, and now that we have artificial intelligence, it's even more challenging because your computer, for example, can track every your browser can track where you go, or even your, your own computer can notice what you do more than uh, mm-hmm. than not, and then it can push. Information to you, or ads, or what have you, based on your past behavior, and and it therefore it can hook you more easily because it knows now. Oh, you really like this. I'm going to put it in front of you. So, just having an awareness that that's happening can help you control it. Having an awareness that we're
0: actually the product and we're not the user.
1: Mm Hmm. mm Hmm. But and then bringing yourself back into control because you need to manage it. I mean, technology is an incredible tool. It has power and gives us opportunities. I mean, look, we're connecting in a, in a really intimate way across the planet. I mean, how exciting is that? So it's, it has tremendous potential for good, but it is simply a tool, and, and we have to pay attention to how it affects our mind and how it affects our behavior.
0: Why is being so plugged into technology when it's done, as you say, in a very passive way or too much out of balance, how does that harm our health? And why is it important to spend time in nature? Why is that the antidote?
1: Sure. Um, It harms our health because it disrupts our attention. So if you're constantly getting interrupted, um, it's going to distract you. And that uh, makes it more difficult to concentrate, which is different from attention. Attention is paying attention. Concentrating is holding your attention for a length of time on something. So if you are constantly losing your attention because you're being distracted so frequently, it can be hard to have the ability to concentrate. Over time, you become unable to concentrate. And multitasking is actually a myth. We don't, yeah, we don't multitask. We task shift. So we take our attentional resources and we focus on one thing and then we move them to another. And that requires mental energy. And mental energy is a resource, just like physical energy. We work out and we get tired, we're done. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> our brain also experiences fatigue. So, if we're constantly shifting our attention from one thing to another and then trying to concentrate and then getting interrupted, our brain gets tired. And interestingly, what happens in the research shows that when people are used to this kind of constant stimulation and interruption, when it's taken away, the first thing they experience is anxiety. And then there's boredom because we are losing the ability to have interest actively. We've become passive and so accustomed to to stimulation from the outside that we're unable to engage ourselves from within. So, And they see that in children. They also see that in adults. So we have anxiety and then we have boredom. And then people also become, um, they lose the ability to have a deep, quality of sleep because they're they're anxious that because they're being interrupted all the time. And then that's independent from the impact of the light from the screen that also disrupts our, our natural biorhythms.
0: So what are the long-term complications of maintaining this type of lifestyle of always being distracted? And let me tell you, when I first heard as a fellow type air, that Multitasking, especially as a woman, we take pride in that. Uh, was not a thing that we're really just shifting our attention, that hurt my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) But with time and and with thinking about it and increasing my awareness about it, I did learn that, yeah, it's I'm not I can remove my cape, I'm not superwoman, and it's okay to do one thing at a time. So, So, then how would always being stimulated, which is impacting my health in terms of increasing anxiety and diminishing my sleep and diminishing my ability to focus. Long-term picture, how does that affect me down the line? Because we're not really good at long-term as humans. We're more focused on short-term gain and um, and complications. So what would you say to that?
1: Uh, well, this is really fascinating. It shows it also shows people are more likely to eat junk food. Uh, we lose uh, because our brain gets tired. Okay, so that interferes with our goal achievement because instead of sticking to a deeper, more strongly felt commitment to achieve a goal that takes uh, time over time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we just do what's easiest. When we're stressed, uh, we uh, lean into habit. We lean into what's most easy and requires the least amount of attentional resources. So if we're trying to accomplish a new health behavior, like I want to exercise more, I want to eat healthier foods, if we're stressed because we're so anxious from being interrupted all the time, and we're not getting sleep, and we can't focus, We're never going to make that choice to exercise instead or eat the right food. We're going to eat what's in front of us, and we're going to just do the same old thing when it came to exercise, simply because it's easier. And that's how the brain works. Like I said, this all is so interesting once you get into the neuroscience. And this is adaptive. Rumination is an aspect of our extra brain resources gone awry because we spend time replaying negative experiences over and over again. So the fact that when we're tired and we um, revert to habit, that's designed to help us survive. Because here again, we have to remember that our attention, our brain is a resource, just like our physical energy. So if we've burned up all of our ability to think on stupid stuff, like answering 30 notifications, we don't have the, the resources to now choose to eat a healthy dinner. And then it undermines your long-term health goals because those require extra, it takes extra energy to do anything to overcome a habit, a bad habit.
0: Willpower is a resource, like you say, just like everything else. And we are better off making certain difficult decisions when we're most energetic, not when you're depleted, not at the end of the day, or or when you're feeling cognitively depleted. What is it about nature that's so healthy
1: for us? Nature is our natural habitat. It's only in very recent history that we are living so divorced from the outside. Studies indicate that people in North America and and in Western Europe, they're spending 90% of their time indoors. This is not how human beings are designed to live. We even have a symbiotic relationship with the sun, where we need to get a little bit of vitamin D from the actual light uh, in order to preserve it in our body. And we breathe air um, in relationship to the trees and the plants. So we are a part of nature, and when we get out in nature, we remember that it's our natural home. So the ideal spot for restoration in nature is somewhere that feels safe, that Mm. feels secure, Mm. but has a lot of green, has a lot of blue, has uh, perhaps running water. Studies show that we are actually hardwired to feel more relaxed and restored in a, in green environments. It's fascinating. They've even uh, done studies on kids in school. When they paint the walls of the classroom green, the kids do better. When you have indoor plants, patients that sit uh, in rooms where they have views of nature recover more quickly. Um Buildings that have more views of nature in neighborhoods that are rough experience less crime and less domestic violence. So nature is calming. There are fractals, you know, the patterns in nature that we see, the geometric patterns like we see them in mean, leaves and tree branches and in plants. When we look at those shapes, we actually feel relaxed and uh, there's a very interesting uh, line of research around a theory called attention restoration theory where actual uh, you know spending time in nature is allows the active processing part of our mind to rest. So that's why it stimulates creativity. It actually helps us to be more productive because looking at trees, looking at plants, um, not analyzing them like a botanist, but just simply enjoying nature uh, engages a different part of our attentional um, mind. And it allows that analytic thinking part of our brain to actually relax and restore uh, people have a hard time realizing this, but our brains actually need downtime. And I actually have a, a a thing on my website called the Power of the Pause, where I summarize a number of studies because I want to encourage people to take breaks. Uh, they say the ideal ratio is approximately ten minutes for every um, fifty minutes, but people find that too big uh, because they're you know feel like they got to go go go, but we are actually more productive if we take breaks. It's the stimulation of all the senses, so you have a more present moment engagement. And when we are actively engaged in the moment, we are happier, a big Harvard study on that, Uh, then it's also, this is the most fascinating research I've come upon, one, uh, they're, they're theorizing that when we are in nature and there's water and it's lush and green, like I said, it feels safe and secure. Instinctually, we feel safe and we feel like we have plenty and it actually uh, dampens our drive to do, to go out and get those resources. So dopamine is a, is a neurochemical that drives behavior. And what happens when we're in this kind of natural setting is that we feel the sense of ease and I don't have to go hunt. I don't have to go search. I can just relax. I have everything I need to be um, satisfied right here. So that's also restful. And restorative it helps us go into the parasympathetic side of the nervous system where we are supposed to live more mm-hmm. but in modern life we're spending way too much time in the um, fight or flight, fight or flight mm-hmm. and nature restores that and the other aspect which is fascinating it's just like we need trees to breathe Um, And it's where the term forest bathing actually comes from, is they found that the phytoncides, the the chemicals and the oils that are emitted particularly from trees, is uh, as we walk through the forest, we breathe that and it also, um, you know, enters our skin and it enhances our own immune system. Because these plant chemicals are part of the plant's immune system. It's a natural uh, fungicide or a natural um, antibacterial. And we also can absorb those. Just like when we eat fresh fruits and vegetables, we share an immune system uh similar to plants. And when we eat those chemicals, the antioxidants and the other phytochemicals, and when we breathe the air and and absorb the oils, it actually stimulates and strengthens our own immune system. So in an era of COVID-19, where your best defense is a strong immune system, Walking in nature is is one of um, the great things you can do because you're getting physical activity, present moment awareness, and a little bath of uh, positive uh, chemicals. So it's really
0: important to have it be an immersive activity. Nature invites us to immerse ourselves completely in the experience where we can completely relax. We can let go of the thinking and the ruminating, and we can just really connect with smells and sounds, um, sensations around us, uh, the, the feeling of the earth underneath our feet, even if we're not barefoot, just the unevenness of the ground, We're not used to that anymore. We're not used to, nor are we willing, I think, sometimes to be quiet or be bored because you're just hearing, just, I say in quotes, just hearing the chirping of of birds or the rustling of the wind in the trees or the the babbling brook or, or what have you.
1: But it's good to know that the first two reactions when you unplug are anxiety followed by boredom. so it's normal to have those two reactions so don't believe it it don't buy into it. It doesn't mean that the experience is boring or that it's going to uh, result in something fearful. Just know that these are emotions that you will likely experience if you've been really um, tied to technology and just ride that until you get to the piece.
0: <laughs> so it's okay. Or And would you recommend then that we leave the phone and take the walk?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just became certified as a forest therapy guide. So because I'm so passionate about sharing the benefits of being immersed in nature and I've, I've, I've written a lot about that. And I highly recommend that if you have a hard time doing this on your own, that you seek out a guide because we, we have taken a lot of time to learn how to facilitate the experience of, of being in nature because so many people are just not used to knowing what to do. But absent, and you can find this on the American, no, it's not American, Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. You can look up guides in your area. And I'm currently working on a book on this. Uh, but so you want to awaken your senses. You want to put your phone away and then be. And it's Oh, it's such a great experience. It's wonderful believe. but
0: for a lot of people terrifying for the reasons you say not used to being not wanting to be bored, thinking it's a judgment. Bored is being bored is a bad thing. And I don't want to feel that sensation. Yeah, it's it valuable though. Isn't it valuable to explore what it feels like to be bored? It's an emotion. It's a, a one of the ranges of emotions to have.
1: Exactly. Well, that's why a mindfulness practice, a meditation practice is so important because you realize that, you know, you've seen the bumper stickers, don't believe what you think, that mm-hmm. it's a tra- it's also a transient emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes, that's why I said just feel the anxiety, feel the boredom, see them, say, oh, wow, I feel bored. Yeah, that I feel bored. And then, oh, but it doesn't, you won't feel bored forever. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, we need. If you do start a mindfulness practice, you realize that all of these things pass, and you don't have to get so up engaged in it. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm bored. Okay, just look at that for a while, <laughs> and, then, and then you'll realize you'll get interested in something because <laughs> that's how the mind is. You know, it it just changes.
0: So what would you say to a person who doesn't have access because of where they live to nature? Are there things that they can do to bring nature to them?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, the the research shows that just surrounding yourself with nature imagery. So I have this beautiful forest in my background. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Just being in this forest is calming. Uh, surround yourself with nature imagery. Put uh, pictures on the walls. Use nature imagery on your screensavers. Put, uh, play. I play, my dog sometimes goes crazy, and sometimes my husband is wondering <laughs> what's going on, but I play nature sounds like there's a bird in the house. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but play nature sounds. There's a lot of nature channels.
0: Hmm. My daughter actually gave my husband a, because we accidentally discovered that he likes birds and he likes the identifying them and, and listening to their calls. And so she got him a, a little book with the local birds in our area. And so it's not, he's not going to be an expert. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But if he looks out of the window in our home, we live in Sawyer, Michigan, we're surrounded by woods, and he sees something interesting, he can flip open his book and, oh, look, this is this bird. And he just learned something new. And and he feels this sense of connection. It's folded into his lifestyle now where he can use this. It's another tool to be more mindful. Shirley, I thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. I have learned a ton and I'm going to take a walk after we're done.
1: All right. (laughs) Very happy to hear that.
0: My question that I ask every one of my guests is what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy?
1: Health starts with happiness. It's, 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 uh, more spiritual and mental than physical. And from that happiness, you will uh, create the health in the body that comes from being active, uh, drinking lots of uh, fluids that are good for you, eating foods that are good for you, sleeping soundly at night, having positive social relationships. So it's and that's why I like to start with mindfulness because it's developing the conscious awareness of, am I happy with my life? And 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 learning what makes you happy and then bringing more of that into your life so that you are now moving in a direction towards a happier healthier fuller more pleasurable life because happiness is also a pleasure and it's organic there's a ton of research out there about how happy people choose healthier behaviors and then you make more friends and it becomes uh, self-supporting. As our social circle grows, we, become, uh, we tend to do more and more of these healthy behaviors because we're going to be attracted to people who are like-minded. And it's really about the joy of living. You know, it's, it's if I go tomorrow, do I feel like my time is well spent? Thank it's all uncertain.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your time. Where can we find you so that we can hear and read all of those resources you mentioned throughout the episode?
1: Sure. Uh, www.shirleyarcher.com. And I have a ton of resources available. This uh, The podcast you can download onto your phone. For uh, before you take your nature walk, I have a huge library of videos on how to start a meditation practice. Lots of articles, how to do a digital detox, uh, things about fitness and nutrition and anti-inflammation, which is really boosting the natural. Mu- like I said, I'm 60 years old. I feel great. <laughs> I have lots of energy. I feel young as ever, and uh, I I really want to share all of these uh, uh, pieces of information because this is how we do it. It's like I said it's directional. so by knowing the small things that you can do every day, you can you can create that happy life you want. and I have all the resources there. And I also just started a Facebook group during the pandemic. Uh, called Mindful Moments. And we are doing a 15-minute meditation every day just to help people start a meditation practice. And there's resources on there as well so you can join the group. Fabulous.
0: Thank you very much.
1: It's my pleasure. I've
0: loved this. I've, I've loved connecting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we got to keep in touch. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And now it's time for the mindful minute. For those times when it's not possible to get outside, here's a solution. Find a quiet place, sit comfortably, and immerse yourself in the sounds of being outside.
2: Thanks for being here. See you next time. What I have learned about yoga over the years is the fact that it has taught me how to concentrate on the movement of my various muscles in my body. I never thought I could do that before. But by doing that, you find you have control over your muscles and you can move them at will if something is sore. You can help make it better. You also can move your entire body and get into a state of relaxation and meditation in a way in which you cannot with any other activities that I have found. Nadine has been a wonderful teacher and director along those lines. That she has explained what's happening. And I could not, at this point, give up yoga. To learn more and to practice with me, find me
0: at yogimd.net.